Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me on episode 20 of my Houston Sports Podcast. My name is Jeff Balky. I'm a writer for Houstonia Magazine and the Houston Press. I also talk sports on Houston Public Media's Houston Matters program most Mondays at 12.45 p.m. on KUHF 88.7 FM here in Houston. You can hit me up on Twitter. It's at Jeff Balke, J-E-F-F-B-A-L-K-E. You can find me via email at gmail.com. You can also find an archive of all of my podcasts as well as links and notes from each one at my website, jeffbalke.com. Today, I discuss a mid-season Texans trade and how it reminds me of another Houston football move many years ago. And what the hell is wrong with the Houston Rockets? So topic one, I want to quickly just say congratulations to the Boston Red Sox. Look, there is no shame in losing to the best team in baseball, and clearly that is the Red Sox this year. The Astros bowed to them, but then they went and just beat up on the Dodgers. And uh, especially congrats to Alex Cora, the former Astros bench coach who's the manager uh, for the Boston Red Sox. Very good dude, and, uh, you know, they were just the best team. So now you regroup and uh, try to rebuild. The the Astros are obviously going to part ways with a number of guys. We'll get into that as the Hot Stove League continues. For now, we need to dig into more important issues. So let's move on to topic two, and that is the Houston Texans making a trade for wide receiver Demarius Thomas. Now, first of all, let's just start with this. I was... was, uh, uh, on sort of a mini vacation this past weekend, and a buddy of mine who was with me, who is a huge, huge Houston sports fan, but his biggest love is the Texans. He's been a season ticket holder since day one. I turned and I looked to him at one point and I said, uh, Rudy, how the hell is it that the Rockets are worse than the Texans? And the thing is, when you look at it, the Texans are 5-3, and three, leading their division by, I think, two games now. They had a decisive win over Miami on Thursday Night Football. They appear to be just getting better as the season goes along. Defensively, they're very good. Offensively, they're quite good, although admittedly, they are not. They haven't really played a good team since week one when they played the Patriots. But, you know, a win's a win's a win, and you take the five and three. Now, it came at a cost. Um, their secondary is extremely thin at the moment. Uh, some more losses this past week in that area. But also Will Fuller. That's the biggest blow to the Texans. Will Fuller, they're Uh, Number two wide receiver, 11 touchdowns in 11 games playing with uh, Deshaun Watson. He is clearly a big target for him. He tore his ACL uh, in the game and and just, you know, a real bummer all the way around. But that was at least to a degree soothed by the fact that the Texans made a trade for Demarius Thomas. Now, Demarius Thomas, an all-star wide receiver from Denver, um, you know, he's a five-time Pro Bowler, former Super Bowl champion. Um, he's He's been mostly healthy in his career, which is obviously a big deal for the Texans who uh, can't seem to, uh, you know, get their health completely together. Um, just looking at some of his numbers from the press release, since entering the league in 2010, he ranks third in the NFL in receptions, third in receiving yards, eighth in touchdowns, recep- touchdown receptions. 75 receptions and 900 receiving yards in six straight season, longest active streak in the NFL. He's a very he's played in 115 consecutive regular season game, the longest active streak among NFL wide receivers. So he's very durable. He's also one of only uh, four players in the league with at least 6,000 receiving yards and 40 receiving touchdowns since 2013. The one of the others of, of one of the other in that group is 
our own DeAndre Hopkins. So he now he's 30 years old, so this is not a guy who's going to be like a long-term situation for them. Uh, he has a non-guaranteed salary next year of $14 million, uh, which is one of the reasons I think Denver was trying to move him along. Um, and, you know, Denver's obviously kind of made the decision that they're going to be in real rebuild mode at this point. Uh, kind of ironic, the Texans will be at Denver this week in, you know, Demarius Thomas's first game. So... Uh, Sean Pendergast wrote a pretty interesting little rundown on sort of the Thomas trade and sort of some thoughts on that. Um, apparently, one of the things and I've seen this a lot, and this is it's a little weird because I've seen repeatedly over and over and over again from tweets and posts that the Texans had, quote, a lot of intel on Demarius Thomas. There's been talk about how they saw him years ago and how they have coaches that worked with him. And, of course, Wes Welker, who's their wide receivers coach, played with Thomas in Denver. So there's a lot of this sort of like, hey, they they know a lot about him. And it's like I I don't want to over like play that. But it does feel a little bit like, hey, we know a lot about this guy, right? It's, It's good. Don't worry. Everything's fine. We've studied a lot. It just feels a little weird. Anyway. Um, you know, uh, and then of course he's a great guy, great teammate, which all Texans must be. Um, you know, Sean also mentions how the Deshaun Watson effect will be tested. You know, Deshaun Watson just seems to make everybody better. He's that good. Um, he's obviously gotten better and healthier over the last two games. He's going to fly to Denver. Apparently he doesn't have to worry about a collapse lung on the plane. Now he was only sacked. I think one, I don't think he was sacked at all. Maybe only hit once during that Miami game. So, you know, he's helping everybody look better, including an offensive line that's still not very good. And, you know, he also, uh, Sean also mentions, you know, the Texans play the Broncos, which is beneficial for them because they have, you know, basically an insider. And, you know, this is a, this is a, a different sort of Texans approach. You know, this is not a team that normally probably would have made a deal like this midseason, but they feel like at five and three, they have a chance to be pretty good, maybe even very good. Um, although I don't think anybody right now believes they can compete with teams like the Chiefs or, or the Rams. But it is interesting watching this. Now, when all this has happened, it, it reminded me of a, an in-season acquisition for another Texans football team. In this case, it was the Oilers. That uh, player was Webster Slaughter. This was 1992. I tweeted about it, and it's gotten a lot of people responding who remember that deal. So just a little bit of background on this. In 1992, there wasn't free agency in the NFL. The NFL had been fighting over this. In fact, I was pulling up some old stories about this and doing research for the podcast, and uh, I found a New York Times story uh, from, you know, in I guess it was September of that year, where it said, quote, the league contends that unrestricted free agency is unacceptable because it would cause the league's best players to flock to glamour markets lead to soaring contracts, and destroy competitive balance. So this is the same argument that that teams make all the time. They want to control everything. That includes the players. And at the time, they did control the players' movement. Players couldn't just go anywhere after their contract expired. It was, it was kind of, you know, and I, I think maybe a lot of us, I, to be honest with you, I had forgotten that that was the case when I read this. And then going back, I remember the situation. So with Webster Slaughter, he was holding out. Uh, with the Cleveland Browns at the time. Uh, He was a very good player. You know, with the Browns, um, he had actually, in in, uh, the 1991 season, 
He had acted as a punt returner and wide receiver. He had 64 catches, 906 yards, three touchdowns. And remember, this is in an era that was not a pass-happy era like we have now. Um, so those were really good numbers, you know. Uh, you know, he was uh, so he was he was actually quite good in 1990 in 1991 in his full 16 uh, 16 games. So, but he was holding out for a better contract at the time. And when that happened, the, there were four players, uh, and he was one of them, who went before a judge. There had been a, a court case in the offseason that had found the league in violation of the, the antitrust exemption that they uh, have. And this was the battle over free agency. Well, uh, but there had been an injunction, basically a temporary uh, injunction saying, look, even though we say this is the case in free agency, you know, is a, uh, uh, should happen, or at least it, it, it's a breaking antitrust rules. Um, players can't do any movement. So these four guys who were holding out, uh, including Webster Slaughter, went to a judge and said, listen, you need to release this because we can't play without this. And so the judge essentially lifted that injunction and allowed those four guys, I think it was like five or 10 days to be able to sign with other teams. And so Slaughter uh, signed with the Oilers for $2.2 million over two seasons. He had actually ended up playing with the Oilers for three seasons. He only played in 12 games that year, obviously, because he came over during that season. The Oilers were quite good that year. And in fact, 1992 was a, was a crazy year because that was the year that ended in the Buffalo game, in the, uh, in the playoffs where they had the, you know, Buffalo had the greatest comeback in in uh, NFL history. And, of course, Slaughter was also here in 1993, which was one of the craziest single years for any team in, in maybe pro sports history. That was the year that had Babygate, where the guy, uh, uh, offensive lineman for the Oilers, was going to uh, sit, was sat out of game because his wife was pregnant and having a kid. Um, and there was a lot of controversy over whether that was okay. Uh, former defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan punched offensive coordinator Kevin Gilbride in the middle of a game that ta- when the team had started one and four and Gilbride was responsible for their sort of run-and-shoot offense. There was the suicide of uh, Jeff Alm. He was a defensive lineman, I believe, who like killed himself on, on a on the side of the freeway. And then later in 2013, it was revealed that two of the players on the roster were openly gay and that their teammates had no problem with it. This was a team that went one and four, then won uh, 11 straight and then lost to Joe Montana, who was then playing for the Kansas city chiefs in a game where they came back and won in like the final series. So he was here for that too. So I guess my point here is that there, there are some interesting symmetry between that 1992 signing of Webster Slaughter and this trade for Demarius Thomas. At the time, you know, the Oilers were loading up on uh, wide receiver talent. They were playing the run and shoot. Um, they, ha- they had Ernest Givens and, and Haywood uh, Jeffries were playing for them at the time. They were loading up on talent. And Slaughter was good for the team. In, in, those, uh, in that 1992 season, in only 12 games, he had 39 catches and four touchdowns. So this is a, he was good. He had very good hands. Uh, somebody on, on uh, uh, Twitter mentioned that they saw him at like an in-store and he was wearing a gold bracelet that said Web Star, S-T-A-R, on it, which is incredible. Um, and so, you know, the, the idea here is we can, with, with trading for Demarius Thomas, now in this case, we're trading essentially to replace an injured player. And really, 
there's a hope that maybe Kiki Kuti will start to get healthy and that hamstring will come back and he'll be able to play. But they're clearly loading up because they think they're good, just like the Oilers were, you know, making moves because they thought they were good. They, you know, Super Bowl or bust. I remember that was a big talking point. In fact, in 1993, Bud Adams, who was the owner of the Oilers, said they're either going to win a Super Bowl or he's breaking up the whole team. And this was Warren Moon was the quarterback at that time as well. So I think, you know, there's another symmetry of an African-American quarterback, uh, you know, and, and Deshaun Watson. Watson is a young guy. Moon was a longtime veteran, obviously. But I think there there are some interesting parallels between those two. And uh, hopefully Demarius Thomas can be as successful as Webster Slaughter was when he came here to the Oilers. But we can also hope that uh, it doesn't end in quite the disastrous and uh, horrible uh just garbage heap, flaming pile of trash that was the Buffalo game. Of course, we do know one thing for sure. If they do lose a terrible game in the playoffs, it ain't going to be to Buffalo. Anyway, the Texans are this Sunday at Denver. Denver has essentially conceded their season. They're, They're not a very good team. The Texans have a chance. It's good. The weather won't be awful up there. I was looking at the weather forecast. Looks like it's going to be sort of overcast. Um, temperatures in the 50s should be perfect football weather. Uh, the Texans, I think, have a real good chance to be 6-3 and three after this week. And when you start looking around at what's going on, you know, uh, just not to go back to Sean too much, he'll probably uh, get a, a swollen head, although he's on the radio every day, so he doesn't need to worry about that. But if you look at the Texans' schedule, which is something he wrote about earlier in this, in this year, about how this is a potential sort of quote-unquote Super Bowl uh, schedule for them. You've already seen they haven't played anybody that's been very good really since the Patriots in game one. When you look at their schedule going forward, they have, they're at the Broncos at Washington. Now, the Redskins are pretty good this year, so that, that could be a tough one for them. But then they're home for Tennessee, home for Cleveland, who's basically the worst team in the NFL, home for the Colts, who are not good. Then they're at the Jets, who are not good. Then they're at the Eagles, who continue to struggle despite being the Super Bowl champs, and then home for the Jaguars. When you look at that, if you say, okay, right now, let's say they're 5-3, and three, and let's say they lose at Washington, and they lose to the Eagles, uh, and they lose to the Jaguars, right? So they lose, so they're out of their last eight games, they also go 5-3. and three. That's 10-6. and six. They clearly win the division. They clearly go to the playoffs. It would take, and in fact, given where they are ahead of the Jaguars at this point, you know, it's going to take a lot because they own the tiebreaker. So it's just there's a lot going on that's going in the right direction for the Texans. That doesn't necessarily mean I think they're one of the better teams in the NFL. In fact, I don't. However, uh, you know, who cares, right? I mean, at this point, it really, really doesn't matter if uh, you know if they're the best team or not. At this point, we just need to be thrilled that they're as good as they are, given the fact that they started so poorly. And I don't think a lot of team, a lot of people thought after that start that they would write the ship, and they seem to have done that. And so we will be watching on Sunday. All right, moving on to topic three, and that is what in God's name is happening to the Houston Rockets. So, look, 
I, I may I wrote about this for the Houston Press, and I said, you know, they're one in five, and they're getting pummeled by an average of 17 points at home. They look completely out of sync on both ends of the floor. They have some injury problems. James Harden has been out with this uh, hamstring issue, and James Ennis has been out. Um, and and a lot of people would might say it's too early to panic, but look, in 2015. The team opened the season four and seven. That was the Dwight Howard, James Harden iteration. And they fired Kevin McHale. They ended that season 41 and 41, and they lost in the first round of the playoffs, right? That was a team that was very high on expectations, but just no results. And they didn't play any defense. That team ranked 25th in defense. And they were just god-awful. This current team has more talent ostensibly, right? But when you look at how bad they are in a number of categories, you have to start thinking, what the hell is going on? So I wrote a, a post about four things to be fairly concerned about early in the season if you're a Rockets fan. And the first is their shooting. Now, let me let me preface this by saying, I do not think they're going to be this bad offensively throughout the entire season. I think this is the one area that ha- will probably show the most dramatic level of improvement as they continue. Because I think a lot of this is just it really is chemistry issues. I think it's where people need to be on the floor and, you know, how they need to sort of move. And and look, Mike D'Antoni is one of the best offensive-minded minds in the history of the NBA. So I think, you know, they're going to pull this together. But let, look at some of these numbers. Right now, the Rockets are... Remember, last year they were second in the league in offensive rating. I think they were second in scoring, number one in point differential. They are an offensive juggernaut. This year, look at this, 26th in offensive rating, 26th in scoring, 28th in point differential, 29th in field goal percentage, 21st in three-point percentage, and 27th in free throw percentage of all things. You know, Chris Paul said the other uh, night during a post-game interview that he couldn't hit the ocean from the boat. Well, neither can any of his teammates. And look... The Rockets are only 12th in turnovers, right? So they're not a horrible team in turnovers. They're about where they were last year in turnovers, which means they just can't shoot straight right now. Chris Paul is shooting 39% from the field and 34% from three. Gerald Green, 38% from the field, 29% from three. Carmelo Anthony, 37% from the field, 34% for three. And then there's Eric Gordon, 30% from the field and 23% from three-point line. My goodness, he couldn't hit a layup. He was like one for 10 the other night inside the paint. I mean, even Clint Capella is only shooting about 50%, and all of his shots are dunks. I mean, they are a disaster on offense. The second thing is their chemistry on the floor just does not match their chemistry off the floor. And, you know, this, this there's this overplayed narrative about these guys love each other, they're friends off the court, they hang out, they play video games, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? As I said, it doesn't matter if teammates uh, hold hands and sing Kumbaya, uh, you know, off the floor, if they can't play well together on the floor. Then they have early injuries, and that doesn't bode well. You know, Chris Paul last year had a knee injury in the first game. He missed a month. But other than that, the team was pretty healthy. They had a, a issue, uh, you know, I think Clint Capella missed about a month. James Harden missed a few games in the middle of the season. But otherwise, they were they were doing pretty well. This year, they've had James Harden, who's been out. James Ennis has been out. Marquise Chris just returned from his injury. Brandon Knight remains out. We're not sure when he's going to get back. Michael Carter-Williams has been on a minutes restriction. Not that that's a big deal, given he hasn't been very good. Nene still hasn't played yet this season. You know, so injuries are a big deal. 
But I think the biggest key, obviously, is defense. And I'm going to say something here. First, uh, I do not think the Rockets should have re-signed Trevor Reza. And I say that for this reason and this reason alone. You cannot give Trevor Reza as much money as he was given in Phoenix for one season. Because it is there is the value just doesn't match. Like $14 or $15 million, $16 million, whatever it was, you can't give that to that guy because he he is he was such a, a zero on the offensive end. And I've had some, you know, arguments back and forth with guys about this, but he was okay during the regular season, but he completely fell off during the playoffs. And he hasn't been good in Phoenix. Um, I'm also gonna say that Luke Bamute, to me, I write him out of this equation because he missed a big chunk of the season with injuries. And I don't feel like he really was the the glue sort of that held all that together. To me, the Carmelo Anthony deal was really just swapping Carmelo Anthony for Ryan Anderson. Right now, unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's doing much good, but it, I don't feel like it was a swap for Ariza. It's not Melo. This was more James Ennis for Ariza. Now, as Ben DeBose, a friend of mine and a guy who uh, does a Locked on Rockets podcast has mentioned, has mentioned, he thinks that the... New rules about grabbing players and, and not allowing free movement has hurt James Ennis, and he's going to have to adjust to that. We'll see once he gets back from injury. But I think maybe the two biggest problems were the chemistry loss of Ariza, because clearly he was, you know, def- at least defensively, was kind of the glue that sort of pe- held all this together. And then also the retiring of uh, assistant head coach uh, Jeff Bezdelic, who was the architect of the defense, and had them go from, you know, the sixth-rated defense last year through the first half of the season to like the second-rated uh, as we went, or second or third-rated throughout the second half of the season. They're clearly not on the same page defensively, and it is a mess right now. I'm not sure what the answer is. You know, maybe they'd make a trade for Jimmy Butler, but I'm not sure if that doesn't do anything but just, you know, toss another log in the middle of this flaming fire. Um, I do think they're going to have to obviously do something. You know, there's been a lot of talk about how they've kind of lost their swagger. This is the type of t- this is the time of year where they have a chance to work things out. But in the Western Conference, you can't sit around and wait on it. You can't end up in the playoffs like sixth or seventh and expect to do any damage. You have got to make a move. And I think the Rockets are just going to have to, you know, trudge their way through it. Now they play at Brooklyn tomorrow, and then at Chicago, two of the worst teams in the NBA right now. Now, if they lose one or both of those games, then maybe the wheels really are off, and maybe we really just need to blow the whole thing up and and say, you know, screw it, this season's done. But let's see what they do. Let's see if they can sort of turn it around. That whole idea of, um, you know, Mike D'Antoni had last year of who cares what's next, I think that's an important thing for them. They, they, they need to stay in that mentality and see if they can right the ship because they really need to do it over the next few weeks um, or the wheels really are going to come off. So let's hope they do that. Okay, that's going to do it for me. Just a quick reminder, I'll be back on Houston Matters on Monday, November the 5th and back here on the podcast for episode 21 next Thursday. Again, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Balky via email, jeffbalky at gmail.com. And you can check out previous episodes and links to the things I discussed here on my blog at my website, jeffbalky.com. I hope everybody has a good week. We'll be very interested to watch Demarius Thomas this weekend. Y'all have a good one. We'll talk to you next week.